Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are some things in the world that I wish did not exist at all. I'm sure you do too. But they do exist, and they are not going away. Accidents, illnesses, frustrations, death. I'm sure you can add to the list. It is likely an endless list. One of the things you may or may not have named in your mind is temptation. Temptation goes back a long way, all the way to the Garden of Eden. And the one who brought it about is still alive and active as ever. He knows it's a very effective tool he can use against God's people. He used it against the second person ever created, Eve. In that same moment, he used Eve to tempt her husband, Adam, and he fell for it too. The first two people ever created, whom God himself described as very good, fell. It is the most significant temptation victory that the devil has ever won against humanity. The crown of God's creation became the very opposite of very good. The very people whom he created to live forever would now die, and death would cling to all humanity. No matter how hard you try, you can't avoid it. No matter how healthy you live, it will still get you. No matter how faithful a Christian you are, you will still succumb to it. It is interesting that in tracing the genealogy of Jesus, Luke takes it all the way back to Adam, and he calls him the son of God. It was not just another human being, but somebody whom God himself molded into the first man. And of course, since God created everything, we know that he created the devil too. No, he did not create him as the devil. He created him as a good spiritual being, one of his angels. God did not create evil. One of the questions that continues to be asked is where the devil learned evil from. Where did he learn to come up with all these temptations that continue to create serious problems for people? One of the Congolese kids from the Congolese Bible study just last Sunday asked me that same question. He's probably about 11 years old. It's a question without an answer because God's word doesn't tell us. Do we need to know the answer before we acknowledge that the devil is busy at work tempting people in an attempt to bring shame to God and his people? No. Even if we knew the answer to the question, it doesn't change who the devil is. He is still busy today, always looking to strike. He doesn't care who you are. He is powerful and feels powerful. He feels invincible. He assumes powers that are not his. And he is very successful, even where you do not expect him to be. Still, he did not seem to know that what was about to happen between him and Jesus in this encounter in the wilderness was being initiated by God, the Holy Spirit. The devil had been the cause of disobedience of God's chosen people as well, Israel, to fail and to fall in the wilderness wanderings. 
You get the impression that everything God had placed his hand and blessing on, the devil came and broke that blessing. In our reading today, the devil takes his turn against Jesus. He didn't care if he was the son of God. He didn't care if it was God the Father himself. He would go ahead and do his thing. If he succeeds, this will be the biggest victim of all. But something else was going on. He did not know it then because in spite of all his craftiness and successes at bringing people down, he does not know everything. He did not seem to have realized that God was taking the battle to him this time. We read that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing in those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Jesus had just been baptized by John in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit had descended on him in the form of a dove, and the voice of God had proclaimed to Jesus, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. He had been inaugurated publicly for his ministry, a ministry that had the purpose of winning the whole world back to God. Jesus is ready for the devil in this battle about to unfold, and the devil seemed unaware of it. He thinks he is going to strike at a moment of extreme weakness for Jesus since he had not eaten for 40 days. Now you are aware of people who go on hunger strikes for various reasons. The British Medical Journal Trusted Source has cited several hunger strikes that ended after 21 to 40 days. The hunger strikes ended because of the severe life-threatening symptoms that was being experienced. Living without access to food and water can have detrimental effects on your body. Your body's many systems will begin to deteriorate despite your body's ability to continue for days and weeks without food. Several negative things would happen. You might experience dizziness, faintness, post-traumatic stress or depression, heart attack, organ failure, and many more. We don't know if Jesus experienced any or all of these symptoms during his 40 days fast. Luke simply tells us that he was hungry. Jesus may simply have become extremely hungry, but definitely it will be, have been a moment of physical weakness. The devil assumed that it would be a moment of spiritual weakness as well. That was the time to strike. The devil tells Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He was trying to get Jesus to doubt whom he was. Remember at his uh, baptism, the voice had said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The devil could have been implying, you are the son of God. You should not allow yourself to be hungry. You are the son of God. You can do this. What is the point of being the son of God if you can't use the powers you have to help yourself? Of course, Jesus could have done it, but that was not the reason why he came. He came so that even in the midst of extreme difficulty, he will be obedient to God. He was not about to repeat the disobedience of Adam and Eve or the disobedience of the Israelites. He came to be the perfect son on behalf of all people. He came to make peace, to reconcile the world to God. 
If that meant refraining from using the powers that he had, then so be it. If that means going hungry, then so be it. Jesus simply answers the devil, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil doesn't give up. He doesn't feel defeated. If food would not do it, then dangling the idea of becoming the supreme ruler of the world might do the trick. After showing Jesus all of the world in an instant, he throws in the next temptation. Now that is really glorious. All the world at your beck and call. All you have to do is worship me. That's not so hard. I'm not asking you to use your powers to do anything. Just agree that I have all the power and authority. Say I am higher than you are, and it's all yours. Think about all you can do with that power. No one dares to stand in your way. No one dares challenge you. You own everybody. Jesus again answers the devil with scripture. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil is getting really frustrated now with this it is written business. He has to show that he knows the scriptures too. And perhaps that will do the trick of getting Jesus off track. If he succeeds in that, Jesus would fail in his mission, no matter what he does after that. If Jesus would find other things more important than obeying God the Father, the devil would have won, and everybody would remain separated from God forever. There will be no eternal peace and joy for anyone. So the devil now resorts to quoting scripture to try to confuse Jesus and get him to do his bidding. He took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus again responds with scripture. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. With that, the devil left. It was victory for Jesus, not for his own self, but for you and me. But the devil is not dead. He has not been rendered ineffective in his temptations for us. He is still at work, applying the same tactic of striking in moments of weakness. And sometimes he strikes in moments when you think you are strong. We often hear or read about public figures and celebrities who were involved in one scandal or another, maybe misappropriating public funds to satisfy some desire that they have, maybe cheating on a spouse, perhaps telling bold-faced lies that can easily be fact-checked by doing it anyway. They may finally say they did these things because of temptation. We might say it is greed and lust because often those involved are not Christians. Will temptation be the right excuse they can use if it's an excuse at all? It seems to me not. Temptation is what the devil does to Christians, God's people. Now you might think that since Jesus overcame the devil just with responses from scripture, we should be able to do the same thing for every kind of temptation every time and be successful. 
even in our moments of weakness, that we alone may know about our reading of this encounter between Jesus and the devil may suggest that we too can always and completely overcome all temptation. But that in itself may be another temptation to put confidence in our ability to overcome the devil. The devil is fully at work, trying all kinds of strategies, in-your-face strategies, subtle strategies, reworking his strategies in, your, in order to use something new, something you are not familiar with to get you. And sometimes you will fail. The very things you promise not to do, you end up doing. You may have invoked the name of God and spoken the word of God in those situations and still you were not successful. It doesn't mean we should quit using the word of God. We should still use it. If you yielded to temptation in the past, or even that happens in the, if that happens in the future, you are not a failure, and God's word has not lost its power. Through repentance and faith in the Lord's mercy, you can still consider yourself victorious because Christ's victory is your victory, and it is an enduring victory. What do you do when temptations overcome you? Take them to Jesus and be confident about what he is going to do about them. He's going to take your guilt away from you. The victory he won over the devil in those three temptations, he makes them your own. The victory that he won is an enduring victory. You can count on that. He who went through extreme starvation in the wilderness with no help whatsoever, not for himself, but for you, still stands with you. He knows exactly what you go through. He's the only one who perfectly understands you and your struggles. Even when the devil attempts to confuse you and accuse you that whatever you have done is unforgivable, you must remember that Jesus came to forgive you for everything. If you lost, Jesus won for you. His victory is an enduring victory. You know that Jesus did not stop at this great temptation victory he won against the devil. He did more. His ultimate goal was to pay with his life what you can never pay. Your sins and mine and those of the whole world were a debt to God that needed to be canceled. That debt, that debt, needed a bloody sacrifice to cancel it. And no other person's blood could cancel that debt. It needed a person who is perfect in every way without a single sin, a single disobedience, a single breaking of God's law. That person is Jesus Christ. He took every sin to the cross and the grave, but he did not remain in the grave. He got out. What he came to do for you and for me, he finished. And even though you don't see him now, he has not left you alone. Even when things don't go the way you plan, he has made a, a firm promise that he is not going to change his mind about you. He loves you so very deeply and is with you always, even when negative events in your life make you think otherwise. So rely on the enduring victory of Jesus Christ for you. Amen.